Welcome to episode 37 of Scoob Obsessed. This week in the news, we will have uh, sea life struggling as oxygen levels drop. We have Indian Navy want to take over Scuba Diving Island. Uh, Oil Rig Second Life is a scuba diving platform. We have another world record attempt, and we have a Navy destroyer being sunk off Ocean City. Uh, And as always, I like to welcome my co-host Jim, but Jim isn't going to be here this week. Uh, he's previously uh, got some other engagements. And in his place, we have Rich Sinewick filling in for him from White Star Quarry. How you doing, Rich? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. Oh, thanks for filling in. Uh, now, I said from White Star Quarry. Now, do you do you change where you're from this time of year? Does it go from uh, White Star Quarry to Divers, Inc.? Yeah, it's from Divers <laughs> Incorporated now. <laughs> yeah, we, uh, we're we still at White Star for about a month, and then the, the quarry stays open. But uh, this time of the year, we're back into the dive shop. I mean, we run both during the summer, but now it's all about the dive shop. So moving, well, great. Uh, yeah, moving into the cooler weather, weather, I get to dive more now. Yeah. Well, and then uh, up here in Michigan, that's just when the... I, I think the diving gets to be the best. You know, it, like, like we said last week, you can either have warm bath water or you can have some clear diving so with that what we'll do is we'll go ahead and we'll get started right into the news we'll get that out of the way as i like to say every week so the first one is we have tropical storm nicole could wreak havoc on new york city subway system and uh the reason i had this as an article is because they mentioned uh that last time they had a flood they needed scuba divers (laughs) so they they had scuba divers going into the tunnels to uh fixed to flooding, but they're concerned with the amount of rain that we're having on the East Coast. I was talking to somebody on the East Coast earlier today, and they said it was really coming down, and if it continues up into New York, they could be looking at that subway being shut down. I can't, I, I can't imagine, like, with that picture, how much rain is coming down there. That's just crazy. It is, and then you listen to, they say that in a sunny day with no rain, how much water is being pumped out of that subway. Let me see if I can find it here. On a sunny day, the pumps pull out 13 million gallons of water from the subway system. <laughs> 13 wow. million gallons. So uh, they, they figure that the drains can handle about one and a half inches of rain per hour. Uh, but they're looking at this storm coming up, and some places have had, have had seven inches of rain per hour. So uh, uh, there could be a lot of people needing uh, <laughs> to be using some scuba gear out there. That, that would be one for the logbooks, wouldn't it? Oh, it would Dive be. In. <laughs> right down the steps, we're going to giant stride in and go swim the subway. I, I don't know that that would be a real healthy place to dive. But well, I'm just thinking, what's the viz going to be like? Is, you know, is there like an oil sheen that's going to float <laughs> in the water? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, that, that would be, uh, be almost like an apocalypse, a post-apocalyptic dive. Uh, There's, just, it's... I've got I've got a couple of friends that are up and down the East Coast, and uh, one of my buddies was driving from Greensboro to Atlanta today. It just I guess got off the phone with him, and he says it's coming down in sheets. But uh, they're not. It's not something that they're not used to as far as tropical storms and hurricanes. I mean, people who are new to that area they tend to to forget that that's part of life. And the people that are old to that area, it's like, 
I mean, you may be a, like they call it a historic event. Okay, it's a historic event, but it's not something you can't clean up from. Yeah, they had the water mains break in the 1990s. 2004, they had Hurricane Francis. And then in, just in 2007, when three inches of rain fell, they had to close down the subways. So, yeah, like you said, it's not unexpected. Uh, the next article is Sea Life Struggling as Oxygen Levels Drop in the Hood Canal. So I'm not real familiar with this area that they're talking about, but it doesn't sound like it's too unusual to have these oxygen levels uh, go down. But they didn't anticipate it to be as bad as it is. So a couple scuba divers went in, and they're noticing that a lot of the sea life down there is stressed. Uh, they saw thousands of fish struggling to breathe in less than 15 feet of water. Uh, one of the divers said she watched an octopus die. Uh, the, um, the the cold water um, is not as oxygenated as the hot water or the warmer water. And uh, it's funny because uh, before we got on air, I was telling you we were in the uh, as in the aquarium today. Some of the cold water things in the aquarium can't handle. They have different ratios of how many fish they can go in a cold water aquarium versus a a warm water aquarium. And I have friends that dive the Hood Canal, and I, nobody's posting it on Facebook, and that's usually the key indicator from people that I know locally. But um, it, it is—it's uh, pretty cool place. It's—it's uh, kind of like your Lake 16 out by you and me, the the, the Saint Clair River. It's like the local place to dive, except they—they uh, they, they were very funny about it. Um, a friend of mine calls me up, and he. Uh, I, he ordered a camera, um, and, and, and on my recommendation, he calls me up and he says, I can't use this camera. I, I've got to wear gloves. And I was like, uh, I use that camera with gloves and everything up here. And he goes, but you don't understand, the water over here is cold. And I said, well, how cold is the Hood Canal? He said, it's uh, it's 50 degrees year-round. <laughs> I'm like, I'd live for 50 degrees year-round. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what cold is. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, from my understanding is the canal is like a river feeding an area that's like a sound but i've never been out there diving i got another friend of mine dives all the time out there so yeah i i was getting the idea that this is part of a natural cycle that uh you know as the winds blow it'll take some of the deeper less oxygen oxygenated water and and move it up and that that's what what is going on here but then they're also contributing some of it just to the 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 increase in fertilizers and algae uh, from human activity being related to it as well. Okay, the the next one is Indian Navy wants to take over two islands in, and I'm, I'm again I can't pronounce stuff Goa. That's how I would do it. I I, I, I call it Goa, but it just doesn't seem like it. That, that's seems like the brute force way to pronounce it. It's probably something elegant, but it is India, so we we should be able to pronounce it. Uh, but uh, they it sounds like they got a couple really nice spots out there. They're really getting close to develop developing them. The tourist spots very popular, and they're actually one of the local state governments was planning to set up an amusement park on the island. And then just as this gets going, the Indian Navy says it wants to take over two of the islands uh, because of security threats. Uh, Rear Admiral, and again I won't even pretend to say his name, uh, is securing the two islands. Uh, I would say Grenade and Pequino uh, was important for the safety of the only international airport in the state, which is used by tourists, which ironically probably won't want to come there because they can't go 
scuba diving. Well, I just took a second to wiki it, and it says Goa is India's richest state with a GDP per capita two and a half times that of the country as a whole. So I guess if I was an admiral and I wanted to take over an important set of islands, that would be what I'd pick. <laughs> uh, and, it, and it's probably Grande and Pequeño because it looks like they were Portuguese at one time. Ah, that would make sense. So I, I like your pronunciation better. And then in Lebanon, uh, scuba diving is on the rise despite lack of sea life in Lebanese waters. And this is, I think, just a, a case of pent-up demand. They've had, uh, you know, civil wars uh, from 1975 to 1990. And, uh, you know, there's just a, a lot of interest as people start to uh, recover and develop an economy. They're getting out and diving. And it's, it's interesting how you, you have some of these people who are obsessed like us who have been diving the whole time. You know, they, they started in the 70s and dove all the way through. And then now they see this influx. So... Uh, some of the classes, uh, they're diving with, well, they said they're diving with 150 people every month. Wow. Wow. I have um, one of the guys that's taking an instructor course from us right now. Um, he's actually finishing up his dive master this week, and he'll start instructor in about two weeks. He is from Beirut. That was where he grew up. And um, he, uh, he said that as a kid he used to spearfish as with a snorkel and a mask out there. And he said it was beautiful. It was the most, one of the most beautiful, he's trying to talk me into going. And I'm like, uh, I don't know. <laughs> I, mean, I grew up and we're not really, I mean, I, they don't like Americans over there. And he goes, no, no, they love Americans. It's just the politics. It's just the politics. And I'm like, okay, well, I know who runs the country. Yeah. <laughs> but, but I mean, you figure if nobody's diving for 20 years, that's gotta be just a pristine place to see stuff. Well, they said that they've got uh, some shipwrecks, a 19th century British vessel, the HM, HMS Victoria, lies vertically in water off Tripoli, bow down. Uh, there's a, a French submarine uh, close to Beirut. Uh, Beirut. Uh, there are four other wrecks, including a cargo ship, Macedonia, average depth of 12 meters, so that's a nice starter there. British cargo ship, the SS uh, Lebanon uh, was sunk by the French in deep waters in 1941. Wow. So well, 12 meters isn't that deep. It's only like 50 feet. What is that? 33 plus. Yeah. 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 Maybe 40 feet. Yeah. So that's, I mean, it's just another place to dive. I, I mean, there's a bunch of places on the planet like that, that I would just love to do. Yeah. They said in the, uh, Temperature gets up to 30 degrees centigrade in the summer and even warmer, and it never drops below 16 degrees. So I know ours, ours goes down to zero. <laughs> so, so 16, uh, that's, that's probably not too bad. I'm looking it up now. I don't know my, I'm sorry to say I don't know my centigrade. Let's see. If I, if I had to say <laughs> six, 16, my guess would have to be that that's got to be about high 40s. Let me see if I when you find that if I if I came in right. Says 86 degrees. It is uh is 30. Yep, 30 what? is 86 degrees Fahrenheit. So what's 16? I'm quick. It's funny. You look at at Google and it, and it's 
Answers.com helps us out. It is... It is... Oh, great. Figured it. What is 16 degrees? What? Nope, it didn't help me out. (laughs) (laughs) Google almost... I didn't think it was going to be colder than zero. No, no, it won't. It won't. Then I know I, I can figure out zero and I can figure out a hundred. Well, I used to be able to do it in my head, but no more. I just <laughs> um, it's sixty point eight degrees. So right yeah. about now, I mean that's awesome. Yeah, sixty point eight is the coldest. So no wonder uh, they love diving out there. Yeah. So in the summer it's it's the tropics, in the winter it's California. So that's awesome. Yeah. So yeah, if they if they ever get things under control and and won't uh, hijack us or ransom us off when we come and visit, it might not be a bad place to go diving. I'm not really worried about that. It's just I, I worry about the theft. I mean, well, you walk over there with a really nice set of blue jeans and a really nice set of dive gear and leave it unattended for a minute. I mean, they if they don't have it, someone's going to take it. Yeah. Well, I mean, this might be a good uh, option for a liveaboard over there. Just stay on the boat and. You know, maybe you could have them dock every once in a while, let somebody off to go shopping. But I think that would be really cool. That'd be a cool passport stamp too, Beirut. Up and <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Say I did it. Okay. <laughs> the next article is the mosquito divers risk injury and death for seafood markets, and this was uh, reported by Nat Geo uh, in their blog. And it was a nice article, uh, if you can head over there and take a look at it. Uh, they had, uh, you know, it shows some of the stuff, if you're a member of Dan, some of the good work that they're doing, because they're just not helping us divers in the developed nations. They're trying to help some of these other nations combat, combat uh, some of these diving injuries. So they've got uh, over 2,000 uh, lobster divers over there who have been injured. They actually have an association of handicapped lobster divers and it's just from uh, part of it's from lack of knowledge on diving and uh, the impact uh, you know some dive from the surface some dive with tanks some hooker rigs and they're just getting bends and, the, and they they profile a couple brothers who within a year of each other both ended up with with injuries once partially paralyzed and one's got uh, uh, some nerve uh, nerve damage well the guy behind it Eric Douglas he's uh He's the training director for, if I remember right, he's a training director for Divers Alert Network, and I had an opportunity to meet him at um, Shipwrecks and Scuba uh, uh, three years ago or two years ago, where he was um, where he was coming to to present a couple awards. And uh, he is on the side an author, and a, and he's really into photography, and he just he uh, just published a, a big thing on on pictures and from Russia but he's been he'd been working on this uh, uh, document he wanted to document this mosquito Indians in La Ceiba Honduras he wanted to document it for a long time in photography and then in in writing and that sort of thing and uh, surprise surprise he put his work on on his website and then suddenly Nacio picked it up on their blog and so he didn't even know it was coming and he's like really this is really cool, and so they're they're really one person makes a difference. Just start talking about it, and it comes up. And uh, these guys are 
so the, the guys you think, oh my gosh, they're crazy, but they just don't know any better. And I, I remember 20 years ago when we used to go to Cozumel, the same thing when they had the black coral market is a guy could go do a 300 foot dive for black coral, get bent. And as long as he survived it, he was set up for a year just from one stalk that he sawed off in 300 feet of water. So wow. it's huge amount of money for for that way of life with a high, high risk. But um, I don't know if I'd a little bit of education would probably help them out. I think it would. Uh, but, you know, it's hard in those economic conditions to say what we'd all do. I mean, you're, you're, you're feeding your family. That can motivate you to do a lot. But eight to ten times a day on scuba gear to more than a hundred feet. I don't know if you could figure out the tables on that. Uh, well, I mean, they're making their own tables uh, and learning the hard way. Yeah, I mean, uh, the 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 picture that's taken right there of the guy in the wheelchair and the the I mean, that's a really cool wheelchair too. Um, the guy in the wheelchair and the guy in the crutches. I mean. They're living a life of pain now. Yeah. Well, and and they're and you look at them in the in the photos. They're, they're not that old. So, uh, but uh, yeah, some some great work there. Go ahead and head over to that article. Uh, this next one, and and I've seen this reported a few times over the week, is an oil rig has gotten a second life as a uh, a scuba diving platform. And uh, when we were at, uh, I can't remember which show it was. I think it was Our World Underwater. Uh, they had uh, a, a show called Diving the Vertical uh, Piers. And I was thinking, you know, and, and so was Mac and Jim. <laughs> we, we were thinking, you know, like piers we have up here in Michigan. We thought maybe it'd be some grubbing, but they were actually diving on oil rigs. But it was interesting just all the life that was on these oil rigs. As you as you went down, and in this particular case, they've actually converted the oil rigs into a hotel as a resort. So, uh, uh, a form of recycling. And this this uh, rig that uh, is in the article they're showing is over there in Malaysia. It's on an island called Sipadan, and uh, Sipadan was. I'm not gonna. I don't. I don't. I would have to put it up there with like one of the Mount Everests of diving way back in the day. Um, anybody that I knew that was a photographer uh, wanted to go to Sipadan because from my understanding, and it, it, I'm going off a really old memory, but it's basically a, a pillar that comes right up out of the water that you could, you could swim around in about two days. It's not very big. And they, um, there's no, there was nothing on it. And then, Tourism started happening, and a couple people moved on there. And then, um, about a, ten years ago, the, the nearby the nearby area, um, they had some tourists ki kidnapped, and they were ransomed off, and all that kind of stuff. And it's on the uh, United States State Depart Department as a um, a place you should exercise extreme caution. I can't remember what they put term it. It's it's like let's not go there if you don't have to, kind of thing. Yeah. But it's it, it, there's there, according to this article, they said five years ago it declared a national park. I, that's that's granting only 120 permits a day for divers and snorkelers. That's a lot more. I mean, I only knew maybe four people that had ever been there, and the photography was phenomenal. But it's it's 
it starts in like a couple feet of water and then it goes down seriously deep and uh the article probably tells you how deep it goes yeah they, they said the coral reef started a couple feet below the surface and they dramatically drop off in steep cliffs to about 180 feet that's just it's just crazy and to be able to so they've solved it. I mean, that's the cool thing. This is like a liveaboard without the seasickness. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that, that really looks like a neat little resort. Yeah, it looks like somebody spent some time on it. Uh, one of the websites I was on was uh, was was heavily environmental. They were they were saying, hey, it's it's good they recycled it, but you know, why not some solar panels? Because I guess there's a generator. And then also, I saw a couple. They said, well, it's. Interesting idea, but it's definitely not luxury. But I think for most divers, we're not going to mind, you know, double bunking and, uh, and a little smell of oil. Now, especially long- if, especially if you're a true diver. If you're a true diver, it's it's not. I mean, you need a place to sleep and a place to store your dry clothes, and that's pretty much all we really need. And a place to charge our batteries. Uh, I'll throw that in there um, because uh, we do have to run the laptops to get our pictures off our cameras, but. Uh, third world country this is pretty amazing i mean mm-hmm. solar panels in a third world country i mean you couldn't even get that te- techno let alone get the technology over there i mean this is a really pretty picture and it's probably enhanced but i would love to see their generator it's probably a lawnmower yeah <laughs> three days two night scuba diving package is uh 516 dollars <laughs> includes room meals transfers equipment rental and guarantees of a morning of three dives on the island. Wow. That's pretty good with the permits only being 120 a day. I mean, where they only allow 120 people a day. Well, I wonder if they, they say they're only allowing 120 people, but how many can you reasonably even get out there? I mean, are they are they using all 120? Well, I know that, I mean, I know there's places in the world like Galapagos, they've maxed out their permits every year. And so I wouldn't doubt it in this, I mean, maybe not in this economic climate, but I guess, I mean, we're talking worldwide now. We're not just talking United States. I mean, the people in in Europe or the people that are doing well that want to do this, they'll come out and they'll dive. I mean, you know how obsessed all of us are. Yeah. I mean, if, if Europe's, I mean, the only thing that would be better for us if, if we were this obsessed and actually financially wealthy too, I mean, being able to dump uh, hey, I want to bring 10 friends to Sipadan today. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> well, we need to get that, that private jet all set yeah. up and ready to go. Yeah, I, I don't need the private jet, but to be able to fly everybody there first class would be okay. <laughs> <laughs> it won't do it in the scuba industry, I can tell you that. Yeah, uh, not getting independently wealthy. <laughs> no, no. Uh, the the but, next, uh, are, go ahead. That looks like a place I would love to go. You know the thing is, I'd like to. I want to, like I said last week, I want to dive them all. Uh, so, just can't wait to get to some of these locations. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, legally blind Petoskey man takes on scuba diving, and this is one of those that got me thinking. Uh, because part of the thing about diving that got me into it was just that that uh, you know doing the discover scuba and just that that feeling of floating and moving uh, neutrally buoyant through the water. And it got me thinking that if I didn't have sight, is, is that, would it still be something that I would do? Well, 
in this article, he's legally blind. It doesn't mean he doesn't have sight. Yeah. Yeah. He, and we've built. Yeah, we've built some masks in in our day for people that had like. I mean, I don't know how to put it on a 2020 scale, but if you were at zero, you wouldn't need any prescription. And these guys are at like negative nines and tens, and they're happy to get. Um, if we can't even fill that prescription, get as close as you can, because then it'll be blurry instead of being nothing. Mm-hmm. And uh, a buddy of mine went through that um, dive heart yes. uh, training as an instructor. And as an instructor, he went as a dive guide and as an instructor. And as a dive guide, you have to be able to guide everybody, and then they teach empathy. So he had to be blindfolded and go a dive. And what he said was it was really cool and what he said was that if you put the right stuff in a pool, you wouldn't know the difference. But it was pretty neat because uh, you'd have someone, he said it would really be cool with, with like surface or, or communications where you can put a person on it and describe it to him and then he can put his hands on it. Like in the picture they've got the, the, on the article with the guy holding on to the crucifix in, in Little Traverse Bay. I mean, if you described that to him, it would be pretty cool. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I'd, I mean... All you need is someone who wants to do it. And I'd take someone blind diving. I think it'd be fun. could tell them all the fish stories. <laughs> wait, 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 you, you make up stuff that, uh, yeah. what he's saying. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, you mentioned Dive Heart. We actually had Jim Elliott on the on the program at, at one point. That's an excellent organization. Uh, have, you, have you had, have you, you said you had an instructor who's who went through that? Uh, a friend of mine owns a dive shop. He went through it for his dive shop. Oh, okay. And, uh, it's one of the guys that visited the quarry, and they came down to the quarry, and they've they, we've had we get a, a lot of differently abled guys. Um, I, I mean, I, I don't know the the proper way of saying it. I mean, to me, they're just people. I mean, mm-hmm. it's really fun because the the ultimate equalizers they're all divers. But I mean, we have at the quarry we've got a bunch of guys that and and one girl, one girl that we have to carry into the water, and she loves it because she's not. She's uh, quadriplegic, but she has limited mobility. But underwater, she gets to stretch out. That the gravity, the fact that gravity is not there anymore, she actually gets to straighten her legs for the first time in weeks and straighten her arms. And she says it's just awesome. And she can see just fine. And she, I mean, she has a signal for clearing her mask. She can touch her own mask and clear it. She's got a purge in it, and uh, it's pretty neat to see. Yeah. Well, and and they're actually uh, dive hearts. Uh, Using it as therapy, there's actually uh, benefits to it between, uh, you know, the the motion, the the neutral buoyancy, actually even the pressure uh, of of going down to depth uh, has, has some benefits for them as well. Uh, the next article is Groveland scuba diver is to retry the record attempt. Uh, I think this is the article from last week or the week before, where uh, they had tried to do the the world record attempt in fresh water and uh, they had flu-like symptoms and had to cancel it. So he's going to go out and try it again. Uh, it's going to be at Lake David uh, at noon. Uh, let's see what they say, what day it is. Until just after noon on Saturday. And yeah. the rain underwater for at least five or just after noon on Saturday. So he's going to try it again. Now, if I had flu-like symptoms on September 16th, and 10 days later, I was going to try the record again. I would have to say, uh, uh, no. <laughs> I'd have to be way better than that. I can't get over cold that fast. 
Yeah. Well, it, and maybe he didn't have the flu. Maybe it was something else or just wasn't. But that's a five days. I mean, it's two days. You know, when they had the saltwater record, you know, 50 hours. Uh, that That's a lot. But then five days in freshwater. I mean, how many tanks? I mean, you know, you figure out surface air consumption. And I'm sure, you know, he's probably, what, 20 feet deep? Do they even say here? You know, how far, how deep they have to be to qualify? <laughs> But, I doubt. I don't know how deep it has to be, but I mean, the logistics of it would be pretty cool for five days. I mean, that's a it's a long day to to not do some bodily functions. Yes. <laughs> and, and and you wonder. I mean, this is Florida, right? Groveland's near outside yes. of Orlando. Yes. And so you got to figure. Worst case, he's in a spring, so the water temperature would be in the seventies, eighties. Uh huh. But that's still, I mean... Well, he's he's got to be in a dry suit because you, you can't... I mean, hypothermia. I mean, you can get hypothermia in 90-degree water, so... But then, you're, then you run into the same problems. I mean, as far as... Again, I mean, the the, yeah. the, 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 the number one is easy to fix. Number two is <laughs> not so easy to fix. And 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 it can't be good for the body. But, I mean, I, I, I've known a lot of people who on a weekend go and do 10 hours of diving like do 10 hour decompressions and that sort of thing for some of the cave divers but five days in 20 feet of water uh, okay it's <laughs> it, it's a uh, the funny thing is is like I, for me if i was going to go do this i'd have probably 300 sponsors to do it and give me something and donate something to dan or donate something right. that have a reason to do it i'm not a big fan of records for records um I think like some of the the Guinness Book of World Records, like the one for most people underwater, and, and the ones for for um, the the I don't know the underwater ironing one you guys talked about a couple mm-hmm. weeks ago. That was, I mean, those are kind of fun. I think I think I would look at those as a as an excuse to have a really big party. Let's try the uh, let's try getting twenty five hundred people in one spot to go diving. Hell, I'd love to have twenty five hundred divers in one spot just to talk about diving. <laughs> I think that would just be awesome. Yeah, well, maybe that's what we need to plan next year because I, uh, you know, because I know uh, Gilboa, they tried that a couple of years ago and just logistically, I think it was a learning experience. But then it wasn't too long after their attempt that uh, uh, some Eastern country, like, just blew it away. I mean, just yeah. And and part of it is is got to be logistics, like you said, just yeah. that many people to talk. Uh, you know where they where they broke the record was, uh, you know, they had miles of beach, so you can right. get a lot of a lot of people in there. And that's the that's the big thing is from a logistics standpoint. I mean, it's great to, that that they're trying to do that. And I, I mean, a friend of mine who was at the uh, the the previous record at Gilboa, I said, "What do you th- what do you think?" He said, "Well, it was a dive." He said, "It was it was really well run." And it, he said, and it was it was one of those things that was really well structured. And I said, well, what did you what did you bring back from it? What was the coolest thing? And uh, he's he's an obsessed diver too. And he goes he goes, the coolest thing that I can tell you is listening to 750 BCDs dump at once. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you know that would be really cool to see 750 or well, even 2500 BCs go. <laughs> What you need to do is have them all tuned to a different pitch, so it'd be like. A <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, uh, that that would be that would be amazing to hear that. But and I was 
I was wondering at Gilboa, with that many divers in, if it raised the water level. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure it did, but on what level? I mean, a couple of quarters of an inch would be a big deal, but but it's uh, and everybody getting out had the water level drop. I mean, it'd be like a <laughs> rain. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, we we've talked about about something like that at White Star because I mean I, we don't like to copy other ideas, but I thought it would be really cool to have a big party and park is on 800 acres they do a tractor show where they bring 1100 tractors for this show not to mention the the thousands of people they had uh, one year they had just 1500 cars parked over there and i mean you figure there's 1100 tractors over there and each guy has each tractor probably has two people that's a whole lot of people on on the property mm-hmm. so there's no problem doing that it's just i mean i want to i want people to enjoy going diving so it'd be a, a big dive day yeah, yeah. I would do it as a benefit, though. I would want to see, I want, I would want to see it go, at least part of the proceeds go to 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 Dan or to to fund childhood obesity or something like. Not to fund childhood obesity, but to fund. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure we would have a lot of a lot of obesity after all the eating food. Twenty five hundred people, but uh, you know what I mean as far right. as uh, the getting people into diving yeah. and Boy Scouts and and that sort of stuff. Yeah, we'll have to think of some. I bet we could come up with some sort of ideas for that, something creative. Yeah, just a big party. I mean, I I, I think that, that uh, up here in the Midwest, I think having any place where we can get that kind of attendance of people interested in diving is cool, but that kind of attendance of people actually going diving mm-hmm. would be even cooler. That would be. That would be. But uh, I don't know, five days, I don't know, would you be able to do five days underwater? I know I would enjoy it. You know, I, I would like to, you know, and, and maybe this would be like a fundraiser or it wouldn't be so much you got to break the record, but, you know, kind of like the, like my kids did the ones where, you know, you you know you get so much per minute you jump rope or, or something. You know, get some sort of pledges for how long you stay down. You know, because I, I, you know, I'm underwater. <laughs> right. You know, and, until I'm uncomfortable. Uh, and well, and until I'm really uncomfortable, <laughs> then it's no fun. But up to that point, it would be a blast. Yeah, I, let me. But I think, uh, God, twelve hours I think would be pushing it for me. Honestly, you know that would be, you know, how many tank changes and uh, and I'm one of those guys. That's that's uh, that's one of the things when I look at this dry suit I I need to be getting shortly, is, you know, I touch the water, I have to pee, so. You know, I just can't. I can't imagine the the, the bodily function part of that uh, twelve hours or or five days in yeah. a suit. How that's gonna how that works out? Well, they do make contraptions. I mean, um, they even make contraptions for girls that you can. I mean, diapers were always one of the things we used twenty, thirty years ago, and then they came up with these these through the suit fittings that you could pee through. And I mean, the hardware is fun to. Uh, not so fun to put on and off, but it's 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 something that can be done. And if you're looking at uh, a long decompression or a long sit and a long hang, your other thing is to soil your dry suit, which is never fun to clean up. And I mean, I yeah, it's just uh, I think that be so I would be suffering flu-like symptoms, and becoming increasingly sicker if I had to to do something that I wasn't able to do. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, um, but I, I mean, I, you look at it. I think it would be really cool to 
I mean, in 40 feet of water to get actually get your decompression warning from your computer. Oh. Because you, you've maxed out 220-something minutes of, of dive time. I think that would be pretty cool. That would be. No, maybe that's what we need to do is come up with, you know, like how the Boy Scouts have the merit badges. We need, like, scuba. Bat. They have a scuba merit badge. Well, for the for the Scouts, but I'm just talking about for us, you know, average divers. You know, and, you yeah. know n- nothing dangerous, but just different novel things. Just, you know, just, uh, I, I saw, what was it, Bahamas uh, was doing the passports, which I thought was just a great idea. Where, you know, each wreck had a passport. When you dove on it, you got stamped. Just that kind of that idea of just little, little milestones of of, of different accomplishments. You know, uh, you know, you know, just entering deco at you know with a dive that never went deeper than forty feet. I mean, that has to be an accomplishment. Yeah, two and a half hour river dive. That would be really cool. Yeah. But the uh, we used to have we used to have stuff like that. It wasn't it wasn't along those lines, but it was it could have been. Um, when I when I got certified as an instructor, the big thing was patch jackets, and it was you'd get a jacket like a biker, and you'd have your master scuba diver patch, and you'd have all your specialties on one sleeve, and then you'd have all your other things, and on the back would have all the destinations you were, and uh, I don't know they went out of they went out of phase. And my wife would say, "Boy, you're you're dating yourself. What year was that?" And I'd tell her, and she's, "Well, I was nine. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, but it was. I mean, you'd actually see guys so proud of them, they'd be wearing them to Dima instead of suit coats. Yeah. Well, we've uh, the the Mud Club here, and in fact, but none of them wear them wear those jackets anymore to the shows. But uh, you know, every, every year right before the show season starts, they all reminisce and say, "Hey, we're going to wear the jackets and." They usually uh, opt out for like the windbreaker with the silkscreen logo as opposed to the the full patches. Yeah, I mean, you used to you used to worry about that because you had patches and pins and stuff like that, and then you you priced them out at five dollars a patch or ten dollars a patch as it was, and you were looking at a at a thousand dollar coat. <laughs> <laughs> Easy. <sighs> okay, the final article is Navy destroyer to be sunk off Ocean City for reef. The Arthur W. Radfield, Radfield is being scuttled uh, in November. A 563-foot Navy destroyer is going to be turned into a reef. It's going to be 30 miles off Ocean City in New Jersey. Uh, cost of preparation is $800,000, which, uh, not that I've got 800000 laying around, but that didn't sound too outrageous to me to prepare a vessel of that size. But... I mean, it's not a destination. Well, I guess it could be a destination for diving. I mean, well, Jersey I think that's Street. the idea. I mean, it, it, they've always shown to be a tourist boost or a tourist boost, and uh, man, that would be probably the second biggest. Yeah, uh, the Spiegel, Spiegel Grove. I just looked it up. The Spiegel Grove is five hundred and ten feet long, and I know the Oriskany is somewhere around eight hundred. Yeah. How long was the? Let's look that up real quick. How long was the? Vandenberg. It's got to be in that same range. But that's crazy how big some of those ships are. It's 523 foot long, the Vandenberg. Vandenberg. So yeah, this would this end up being probably the second largest that's out there. Wow. And I mean, that's huge. That's that's 
500 feet doesn't sound like a lot because it's, I mean, what's a football field? 300 feet? Yeah. I mean, you're swimming 300 feet. That's half. Now you can come back 300 feet. You haven't even seen the whole thing. I mean, when we dive the, uh, the Cedarville, it's 500, about 500 feet long. Uh-huh. And, and it's in 100 feet of water. It's 500 feet long. And you can't see it all in one dive. I mean, you could, but it doesn't become a fun dive. It becomes a workout. Uh, it's a workout or you grab a scooter and then you zoom the one end to the other. But there's there's plenty to see there. Right. It's just, uh, I, I mean, I'm a big fan of, of this kind of, of recycling. I mean, 800000 I mean, it's it's huge because you figure somebody could, is going to pay 800000 when they could probably make that in scrap metal by cutting it up. Oh, yeah. And, I mean, that's just huge. And I, I know how much I would love to have even like a landing craft in the quarry for people to see how much of a draw that would be. I couldn't imagine what a um, what a battle cruiser would be, a Navy destroyer. That's just that's just awesome. Um, it's uh, and they do they do turn into some beautiful reefs. I mean, uh, we had the good fortune um, when the the Ariscany was sunk in May. Um, we had the good fortune of having a July trip that year. And you got down on it, and it was really cool. But even after three months, there was tons of little things all over it. Um, crabs that had crawled all the way up to the top of the superstructure that, if they were coming from the bottom, they climbed almost 150 feet. And it was so big. It was, to, to put it into scale, the, the, the uh, tower of the, uh, of the Ariscany with the... I, I don't, the island is what they call it on aircraft carriers, but it's like goose were going to boast a tower um, from from Top Gun. Maybe dating myself there too, but <laughs> <laughs> the uh, that tower alone, people like were talking to me about it, and they said, "Oh yeah, I want to go do that. I want to see what the bow looks like." And I said, "Are you bringing a scooter?" And they're like, uh, "No." And I said, "Well, let's just put it into perspective. You're, I mean, put it in perspective of something that listeners for this show would do is is the Ann Arbor Five is roughly what 200 feet long for the half." Yeah, that's left. So if you took the Ann Arbor Five and stacked three of them on top of each other, you'd have the tower. <laughs> so, how long does it take for you to swim around the Ann Arbor Five? Well, b- <laughs> I mean, before do... before going into deco. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, that's the thing is the bottom of it. It's now a little bit deeper than it was back then, but the. T- Top of it was 60 feet. The bottom of it was 135 feet. So if you wanted to see something, you'd do a couple of laps and you'd be done. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, they pre- prep these places really good, too. I mean, there was nothing out there. And now it's one of the best fishing spots. And we went back We went back two years later and got blown out. That made a really good T-shirt because it was the Ariscany T-shirt. And now it's got a big circle around it that says blown out. Um, and then the... Uh, the next that was there were ten footers on it that year, but the year after that, um, we ended up getting out on it, and it was another one of those pre-storm rough days. But there was so much life; there were just schools of fish, and um, they've even seen a whale shark. They just saw. I mean, somebody shot a uh, shot a video of a manta ray on it. Um, I mean, these are places that. I mean, this is something that would not be there if they hadn't spent all that money and sunk it there. Mm-hmm. And Pensacola, the first year we went, uh, or the first time we went, we went out, we were going to get blown off it. And I looked at the guy and I said, what do you mean we get blown off it? He says, well, it's going to be too rough out in the Ariscany. 
And I said, well, we're here to dive. Is there another wreck inshore we could do? And we ended up going and doing an inshore wreck, and it was fabulous. But that right there illustrates I came down for the Ariscany, but now I know there's really good diving in Pensacola. Right. And that that's, I mean, 800000 is dirt cheap if the if the um, hotels and, and, and the tourist people in that get behind it. They're going to make probably five ten fifteen dollars on the dollar invested that's just huge oh or certainly they will uh there was a study that we saw that uh and i i've seen it repeated in in different locations but that a one diver one day is a hundred dollars in the local economy or wherever they're diving a hundred dollars per day per diver is what they're figuring between you know local businesses gas food whatever and I'm sure that's even on the, on the light end. And when you look at the, uh, you know, some of the numbers that we've seen in demographics for divers, the average income of a diver is a hundred thousand dollars. So you know, you're getting affluent people into areas to spend money to do something they love. So, and, and when I was on the show talking about White Star, I, I can't, I cannot emphasize this enough to a diving audience that might be out there, is. Wear your T-shirts proudly. Make sure there's a big, huge dive flag on it when you go in to eat at the restaurant. Make sure people know you're divers and that you're coming to that area to dive. Because that's how these projects get funded is people go, man, I had 50 divers in my restaurant this week. I am definitely going to put money into that sinking of the Radford. Mm-hmm. And maybe we should go back to patch jackets. Yeah, maybe we need to. <laughs> well, we'll def- definitely going to get some some hats out there. It's a one of our projects. We're going to get some scuba obsessed material out and and get people to wear it. But uh, on on the artificial reef, I think that's a a great program. Uh, I, I'm actually looking at doing the same thing here uh, with a dive dive club here in in Lake Michigan. Uh, part of it is I, as I spent the last two months just researching the laws and everything around it. We've got preserves. And the preserves do allow for one uh, vessel of historic significance to Michigan to be sunk in each preserve. So now now the question is to navigate of what what does that mean, what does that qualify for. And if you're only allowed for one, you want to make that one good. (laughs) And and there is a precedent on that. Um, Up in Munising, the the Selvig... They, it's a tugboat, and it was found to be available. And uh, the whole, it needs to have historical significance attached to Michigan. The cool thing about the Selvig that turned out was that the Selvig, from my understanding, helped on the building of the Mackinac Bridge. Mm-hmm. So it was one of the vessels that supplied the barge, or one of the vessels. So, I mean, the the historical significance can be tenuous at best. Right. Well, yeah, and I don't think that's going to be hard to to do for anything. I mean, whether it's commerce or, or, or something, but uh, uh, that's one of the things I got my eyes on. So if you see anything, I'm, I I think at least 100 foot in length would be nice, and then uh, I, I would I would be able to get some dock space donated, and then probably about, I, I figure it'd be about a year of uh, cleaning where you get into the challenges of asbestos, which most vessels are going to have on. You have to have a, an approved source to clean that up. But we're fortunate, at least in this side of the state, that we've got people that training. 
Is it the asbestos? They really have to pull all the asbestos off of it? Because I've, I've always been fascinated by that because asbestos is a rock, and it's only dangerous to us if it's airborne. Mm-hmm. So why, if we sink it, is it a problem? <laughs> well, you know, and maybe maybe it wouldn't be in sinking. I'm not sure what the rules are. Uh, you know, one, one of my griefs around here is that I think asbestos is fine if you just leave it alone. It's right. like you said, it's only, a, it's only a problem when you mess with it. So, like, uh, the school system here had asbestos in the ceiling, so what they do, they make them tear it all down and re-put in the ceiling. So you figure there's probably the next three or four years of students in that school probably got more asbestos than they would have if they had just left it. But right. I guess one thing to say is it's gone and can't hurt anybody ever again, but uh, at least not in that, that location that way. So, But, yeah, I don't, I don't know what, what you exactly have to do. I'm sure you got to take, you know, obviously get the oil out of the tanks and, and stuff. But I did do research, and they, they do have, like, uh, California just passed laws that limit the liability on such projects and Michigan already has those laws in the book. So uh, that doesn't have to be visited. So it's more a matter of deciding, uh, you know, on this side of the state, the preserve is quite large and, you know, it'd be, it's unfortunate that they limit to one. So I'm wondering if it's like you sink one and then you go and you you have the law (laughs) amended so you can have a a second or a third. My my thought was, uh, you know, just to kind of work your way up to it, you know, do a 30 foot vessel, then an 80-foot vessel, and then you go for something big. But uh, but when you have a one-shot, you better go for something really large the first time. Yeah, that's, that, that's, that's what I'm thinking. And I've got my eye in a few vessels, but they're, they're still floating. <laughs> so, right. Well, that they have to be still floating. That's the best part about yeah. it. Like, like uh, Tobamori, they had, uh, they had a, uh, a couple things. They weren't allowed to sink anything in their Fathom 5 preserve. But just outside of the preserve was okay, and they had a couple of sites that they could do that. Well, they found this really cool um, wreck called the Carolina Rose, and it was a, a wooden sailing vessel that was sitting out doing nothing. And uh, talk about a learning experience. If you only have one shot on it, you got to learn from everybody else's mistakes. But this one, if you ever want to see what the Carolina Rose looked back, look at the Canadian Dime, and that's its sister ship. So there was some historical significance to that. That's what it would look like. Well, they sank this thing in, in uh, uh, they had prepared to sink it in about 100 feet of water, and it ended up sinking in 80 feet of water, and unfortunately, it was still partially buoyant, and so the winter weather banged it into 50 feet of water and destroyed it. Oh. So the first year you went, I mean, you go up there and you look at these really cool pictures and you go, where's that? I want to go dive that. I don't care where that is. Well, that's the Caroline Rose. No way. I've been on that junk pile. Yeah. <laughs> and it's cool because there's a lot of stuff there, but it's a rubble wreck. I mean, it's laid out. But he says that was the Carolina Rose. And you start, if you go, you can see where it hit. And I was like, really? So we went up there one year, ran out the end of the wreck reel, and you could see every place that it hit when it was picked up and smashed into the bottom and you could see all the wreckage and all that kind of stuff strewn over a big area but then they came up with a second one and they said we're going to put this in an area that the the carolina rose they put in an area that was going to be sheltered by wind and weather no matter what where now they have one where it's not going to be sheltered by wind and weather if it's a if it's coming across a lake you're not going to be able to dive it but it's really well protected as far as how deep it is and they sunk a, a sand sucker it was a Basically, this is one of those ones that environmentalists would have a field day with today. It was uh, 
a ship that if you wanted, let's say you wanted pea gravel for your project, it would go out and find a bottom full of pea gravel and suck it up into its hold and take it back to you, mm -hmm. regardless of what was there previously. If you wanted sand, it'd go find sand. If you wanted silt, it'd go find silt. But uh, they, they'd had that sitting at the dock um, in Owen Sound for, I think it was four years. And all the divers from the local area who had any kind of skill volunteered and they went down and they spent their weekdays because they spent their weekends diving, but they'd go down and they'd spend an afternoon and, and okay, today we're going to clean all the oil out of this, or today we're going to cut holes in this, or today we're going to cut out the, the, um, the, 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 cut a hole in the, the fuel tank so it didn't float. And they made sure that it was going to sink. And it's, they had the benefit of the engine had already been salvaged. But the guys that were working on the project said, you know, if that hadn't been salvaged, we could have found a company to salvage it and actually pay us for that engine. And we're looking for an aircraft for the quarry, and we think we found one. And I found out that, like, getting rid of the hydraulic fuel and the hydraulic fluid and all the aircraft fuel that might be in it, there's companies that actually pay you to pull it out, that they make so much money off of the recycled product that they pay you to be able to take it out of the, the, the machine, like machine oil that might be in that. If you can pump it right out real easy, they're going to pay you to do it. Wow. Because so, there's a value in the oil or there's value yes. in parts in the oil? Yeah. There's a value in the oil and there's value in parts. There's a value in a bunch of everything. I, I can't imagine some of the value. We were at an auction and I was talking to a guy who salvages wrecks for a living, or salvages, not wrecks, but salvages ships. He strips them and salvages them and sells them off. And uh, we were talking about all the portholes this auction had. And he says, oh, they're probably going to go for way too, too high. And I said, well, what do you sell a porthole for? $25 an inch, glass or no glass. And I said, what do you mean an inch? Measure it directly across the glass. It's $25. And I was like, these guys know exactly mm -hmm. what every part on that ship is going to fetch them. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, because there's probably you know eight or ten guys all know they have the same information. And they're yep. bidding against each other, and they've got it all within a few bucks of what they need to do. Right. But uh, I, I just, I mean, a 563-foot Navy destroyer would not fit in the Great Lakes. That's how big that is. Yeah. You could not get it through the Welling Canal. But, so, uh, so we can't go destroyer or aircraft carrier. No. <laughs> but we could go mine layer. Yeah, mine layer. That'd, that'd be good. I mean, I mean, if you want a small, I mean, if there was more than one shot at it, I would go uh, a landing craft, a helicopter landing craft. I know there's so much out there that the Navy is willing to give you. Um, okay. Ships to Reefs is the ships to reefs dot com mm -hmm. is the website where you can go and get a lot of information on that. But they weren't even looking into the Great Lakes; they were only talking about East Coast, West Coast yeah. when I looked at it last. It just like took too much work for a dive shop owner. Oh yeah. Oh, you, you definitely need to mo motivate a bunch of people. Really, it has to, it has to have support of the area. But uh, my thought was, uh, you, you get one of those ships, but you're only allowed to sink one. But what's to say what you put on it? You know, maybe put a uh, a tank on the deck. Uh, you know, strap a you know all sorts of appropriate items to the top and. Even if they came off as it sank, then that's just all that more to dive on. Yeah. And that's always been the truth of it is uh, you take something and, and uh, 
throw it in a junkyard, everybody says it's junk. You take that same thing and throw it in a lake, and all the divers flock. Well, yeah. Well, and then and then cleaning up. I, I can't tell you how many eco-type dives I do a year, uh, or where I'm in the water and I'm picking up mess. You know, something that I wouldn't be as motivated to on dry land to go over and and pick up. But when I'm there underwater, it goes in the catch bag. Yep. Well, we've, we've finished off the news, so let's go ahead and, uh, you know, I, I unfortunately didn't get a chance to dive this last week again, and, and neither did Jim, but it sounded like you had a good week of diving. What what kind of spots did yeah. you hit? Well, this week was uh, was interesting. It it, um, it uh, started out, um, I think when we talked last Thursday, I, uh, I was going to go out and do the, uh, the, the Regina out in Lake Huron as well. We woke up. Uh, well, we got up, pulled up the news on Friday night, and it said that the forecast was going to be three to five footers out there, and and we're driving up two and a half hours to possibly be blown out. So, so when you have really good charter boat captains, they're like, Let, let's look at the 9:30 forecast. If it doesn't look like it's going to be any better, we'll just call it now. So we didn't have to drive up there. Well, the cool thing was it was for my staff. It was all of my my staff. Um, of the, the dive shop that could make it, the people that actually work in the store, I was taking them up to do the charter. And uh, my dad has a boat out in the river. And so when I called him to say, hey, we can't, uh, we might, we're going to get blown out. Um, I'll let you know in an hour. Um, can we use your boat? And he said, what's that? I said, well, plan B was going to go play golf. And all of us hate golf, but it was something to do together. And uh, I said, I'd much rather dive, and I'm sure everybody else would much rather dive. And, and so if we go dive the river, can we go do that? And he goes, yeah, well, just how many guys? And I was like, seven. He's like, okay, it'll be the most on the boat ever. Um, but the boat handled it great, and we went up and we did, uh, I mean, we didn't care what the visibility was going to be. We didn't care what the, the conditions were going to be as long as we could get out. And um, we went and dove an area of the river just off of Grosseal, where uh, my dad keeps his boat down in uh, – it's almost, uh, I think it would be almost on the other side of the state from you exactly. But we're in southeast Michigan, right where Lake Erie uh, meets the Detroit River. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a couple little islands there. So um, the water's been really low in the river, and, and we go to a place that the water is historically low. Um, it used to be a lot deeper historically, but uh, when they built the canals and such, or the channels, the water flows through the channels a lot better than where it flows here, so it's it's a lot shallower. And this time of the year just is awful for the weeds, so you got to go find some place that doesn't have as much weeds to hook up, and then work your way to the weeds beds to see if you can find bottles. Well, I knew it was going to be an interesting dive when I giant straight off the back of the boat and hit bottom. <laughs> uh oh. <laughs> so we were in about eight feet of water, and uh, we all did about 40 minutes in this eight feet of water, ripping current. And and some of them were doing crash courses and river diving because um, they were not river divers. And uh, <laughs> it, it's nice when you're in a pretty controlled area like that with not a lot of boat traffic because if they get blown off, they come up and inflate and will come get you. No big deal. And uh, But everybody did really good. I mean, it's hard not to when you're working for a dive shop and you're with a whole bunch of people who work for the dive shop. Even if you don't do well, you'll stay down. <laughs> you're not, you're not going to You're not going to make it uh, – you're not going to risk the, the the verbal ridicule of your people that you work with. So, but uh, the that dive was okay. We got it was about four foot of visibility, maybe, 
and uh, but the whole bottom where we were at, because we picked an area that didn't have a lot of weeds, but this area was just scoured right down to the limestone. So it was just a big limestone dive, and we knew of a wreck that was a little bit further down river, and I wanted to get everybody on it, and the visibility was good enough to get everybody on it, and so we went down and we did this wreck called the Sea Breeze, and uh, that's got a great story behind it. Um, uh, it's a uh, it's it's a 110 foot long tugboat that I've pretty much driven over my entire life and didn't know it was there. And I wasn't the first to discover it, but back in the 90s, I would say I was the first to make it popular because we started going there a lot. But in 20 feet of water, this 110 foot vessel has a steam engine, a boiler, an electrical panel, the the prop and the rudder and the, the um, uh, pilot house has all been taken off of it but it is just one of those really cool dives that it's just got a lot of stuff on it and people have been really good about leaving the stuff on it so i mean you go down there and it's 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 just fabulous and even in two feet of visibility you can still make out what everything is because of your thing you're just it, it's it's just that obvious but everybody's just had a blast on it um but the, the story behind it was uh, it was sunk in the 1940s um, because the island that it's next to or it was docked up at um, was going to be um, purchased by some uh, an organization that wasn't real liked on the island. So a guy came out and uh, rumor has it that he came out after World War II, uh, coming home from World War II, found out that this company was going to own this island right in front of his house and he took out his service rifle and shot at the boat until it sunk. <laughs> so, so as quietly as it sunk, I mean, as far as it's it's just sat down into it. Um, I mean, the way that I was told about it twenty some odd years ago is someone said, "Hey, there's a boat sitting out there. I saw it through the ice one year. You should go see if you can find it." So I'm thinking rowboat. Yeah. And so we jumped we jumped in up river and I swam up to it and the first thing I saw was this massive bow coming out of the the bottom and it was like this is gonna be cool. Yeah. And. And we dove on it for almost two years straight. Uh, every time we we the visibility was just okay, not good, and we didn't want to do drifts. We ended up uh, staying there, so that was just really cool. I mean, it was such a cool wreck. I wanted to run charters to it because it was. I mean, you can get an hour bottom time on it and see every inch of it if you wanted to. It was really cool. Um, but the, uh, but but that turned out to be just a, a really good. Uh, plan B day. I mean, we all got ha to hang out together. We all got to do stuff. Everybody, some people got introduced to a new type of diving, which is always fun. Um, and and uh, I mean, we didn't find much um, out in the in the river. I mean, we only found two bottles, and they're relatively modern. But uh, didn't the visibility wasn't good enough to be be a good grubbing dive. But it was still. I mean, it's a day underwater, and then. Uh, and it was, I was a little worried um, going into that week. I was going to be dry for the whole month because the, the the dives have been blown out pretty much every weekend. And so, I mean, I never haven't missed a month since the day I bought the dive shop. And uh, that was seven years. And uh, I don't want to go a whole month. I hate going a whole week, but a whole month would be just horrible. And, uh, but uh, it's neat. So, so far this week, I've dove every day. <laughs> <laughs> but if, if you count the pool, um, I, uh, I did that charter on, I did that dive on Sunday, and then Monday we had a, uh, 
had a dive master class and, and it was uh, the class on how to teach the dive master conducted programs and so we were getting in the pool there to do that and then last night I had or the night, night before last I had uh, it would be Tuesday night I did a um, uh, a rescue diver course and then uh, Wednesday night we didn't dive but uh, we talked about diving and then uh, today um, I got to dive the Amazon River and the uh, a Caribbean reef uh, with sharks and uh, the only place you can do that in one day is an aquarium and because uh, I volunteer at the Newport Aquarium in Newport Kentucky and uh, I am just happy as punch to say that I get to dive with some real I mean I don't see how anybody could ever I mean it's a fish tank but I don't know how you could ever find it boring uh-huh because the coolest thing about it, like today was a feed day, and that's the coolest day, is because you just, they they feed these fish massive amounts of food um, for what they need. Uh, but it's, the idea is, is that they don't feed them every day. They feed them a lot at once, and they feed them enough, and they consume everything. So it's, what they don't want to do is they don't want to throw in a bunch of stuff and have them only eat a little bit of it, so it fouls up the tank what they want you to do is throw a whole lot of stuff at intervals that they'll eat it all and and um the fish that i got to dive with today um, the cool thing about the amazon tank is you'd never find visibility where you could see in the amazon river but in this tank it's obviously kept really clear so the the um the uh, guests can can see it but they have these these fish that they put in about three months ago and we get to see it we go once a month me and my wife and they're called Aeroprimas, and they're the largest freshwater fish known to exist. And right now, they're about five feet long and probably weigh 120 pounds. Wow. I might guess. And they, everything they eat, they hit hard with a really snapping jaw. And it's like, when it goes, when you throw a fish out in front of it and it goes chunk, it's like you feel it in your chest and you're glad your fingers weren't anywhere near it. <laughs> I mean, they don't they don't have teeth, but it's like, you don't know what they could have done to you, but it's just really, really, really cool. Um, that tank is uh, it's cool too, because it has freshwater stingrays. And uh, they're sloppy eaters, but they have a lot of fun smiling down on the, uh, the silver side. So, so that's something that we did. And then, uh, after that, because we drive four hours to get there, the people at the quarry or, or at, the, at the aquarium are really good at making sure we get at least two in. And we get to go do a cleanup dive um, in, the, in the shark tank. And uh, the cool thing about the cleanup dive in the shark tank is that uh, you're out there picking up pieces of lobster from the shark rays. And, and the way that it works is you have one person that's a safety and one person doing the job that's required. So the safety has to keep the sharks off the diver. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so today I got to see a, uh, I mean, we got to swim with um, sand tiger sharks and, and um, uh, dusky, I think it's a dusky shark. No, it's not a dusky. I can't remember what the other one is, but uh, blue white tip reef sharks. And then they have, um, they're known because they have the only successful shark ray breeding program in North America. Um, and shark rays are really cool. Think of a stingray that has the body of a shark and the look of a tank. <laughs> and, and, and the, the, um, the uh, misdemeanor, or the misdemeanor, what's the word I'm looking for? The demeanor of a puppy. 
and they're just all about wanting to be up in your face and and the reason that it's funny because that we're, we're told a whole bunch of stuff about when we go through our safety briefings because they go through a safety briefing every time we get in the core get in the, in the tank to make sure that the sharks that we understand what's going on and how to handle it and that sort of thing but the biggest problem in that biggest problem child in that tank is the sea turtle um, they have a sea turtle named Denver, and, and according to one of the dive safety office, he's just a misunderstood little turtle. <laughs> but Denver likes to play, but his only means of playing is his beak, his mouth. And we're told that anything Denver gets a hold of, he's going to get, and he's going to break it. And so that's kind of what the safety divers are for, is to make sure Denver doesn't come and take your mask or Denver doesn't come and play with your rough. And and it's a really it's got a, they've got an excellent track record. Um, and and if you if you if they're offering it in your area where they come to a show or something like that where they say hey we want to have volunteers for this, I highly recommend aquarium diving. Um, it's a great way to to get some practice and really refine your buoyancy skills because you have to be perfect in all this. Um, and I would have to say that the best thing about today is the little kids um, because you're a fish now. You're in the aquarium and they're taking pictures of you. You're all about it. And if anybody ever goes to Newport Aquarium on a day that I'm there, I want to see the pictures you took because I haven't seen any pictures of me in the aquarium. But <laughs> it's, it's a blast. You get a whole class lining up in front of you in the tank and getting a picture taken in front of you. And I pull the regular out and put a big, grin, big cheesy grin on my face to make it all cool. But... uh but they just think that's a great. You wave at this little kid, and they just think it's great. There's a fish waving at me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, so you would recommend, uh, you know, a, a tank dive? Yeah, I. If you get an opportunity to do it, um, before my wife and I got into this, uh, the, in with the Newport Aquarium, we actually went to Scuba Fest and met the people, and they were recruiting, and uh, the. I mean, this could be a whole nother article if we wanted to talk about it, but the, the, the cool thing was how picky they were. And it wasn't picky. They wanted everybody to volunteer, but it wasn't picky on how you, I mean, for like how you looked or how you dressed or how you did. It was how you dived. And um, they wanted to make sure you were going to be successful because you had to put in somewhat of a financial commitment. And I'm going to say that tongue-in-cheek, the financial equipment is, is that you – you had to buy equipment specific for the tanks. All your wetsuit, your neoprene, your hoods, your gloves, your boots, all had to only be dived there. So that's, it's not a huge expense, and it's something that you can use later, but you had to go out and buy a wetsuit. And it has to be a specific wetsuit brand that they sponsor. Ah. So, um, and, and the ironic thing about it was it wasn't one that I carried. Oh. <laughs> You couldn't go quick get a. Uh, no, get a... I couldn't go pull it off the shelf and make the dive shop buy it for me. I had to actually go out to a dive shop that carried it and buy it. So, <laughs> yeah, and there happened to be somebody who comes to the quarry a lot. So they're like, "You want to do what?" Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, the ones that I recommend, I mean, having been there now. Um, and having seen some aquariums around, I mean, we went down to the Living Sea, and, and everybody says they're going to go dive that, and we were really into um, diving the aquarium at the time. And the Living Sea wasn't, at Disney, didn't look like as cool as what we're doing. But uh, 
if anybody wants to go do this, um, I've I've not dived every place on the planet, but I'm, I, I'm working on it. My bucket list list is pretty long, but uh, you need to put on your bucket list the Georgia New, the Georgia Aquarium in Atlanta. And you you in one dive get to dive with at least four different sea creatures that are in everybody's top ten. I mean, they do a really bang up really good debriefing and then you get in the jump in the water with i mean in one dive we saw four whale sharks a manta ray a hammerhead six um uh, sand tiger sharks a wobegon shark um and about six different rays and then their outer tank wall is the size of an imax screen so that's just a screaming gas riot it's one of the best 40 minutes i've ever spent and it's not cheap it's like 350 dollars. but you get a really good um logbook page you get a t-shirt and you just get a great behind the scenes tour but it's that should be i mean i figured that that wasn't super expensive for where it's going but uh that was just awesome that was awesome but like going back to the aquarium that we were in we had to go through a buoyancy test and it was funny because they weren't taking, I'm a 20-year experienced master instructor. Why do I have to do a buoyancy test lightly? Mm-hmm. Their buoyancy test was tough. They failed out people. And the way that they failed them out I thought was exceptionally professional because they really needed volunteers. They would look at them and they say, uh, we'll pick on Jim. Jim, your buoyancy skills aren't up where they need to be. <laughs> but... You come back, and we're going to give you a training on it. So you come back next week and train with us, and we'll help you out and get you to be able to pass this test. And the test was tough. It was like six or seven rings that you had to swim through, which you think, okay, that's no big deal. But they put ropes in between them that were like vines, and it was to simulate what the tanks were like because they have all the decorations in the tanks that you have to avoid. And... I was scared to death that I failed it because I touched one of the vines. <laughs> but, there were, but there were people that were like, like when you saw a bad one, that was a bad one. Like there was one guy that was swimming through, and I'm glad I don't know his name so because I could never be able to tell it. But uh, he picked up three or four of the rings on his first stage. I mean, he just had no concept of his buoyancy. Um, I learned something interesting when you when you learned how to do the side roll entry in the pool. When I learned it, my instructor was like, you got to slap the water when you get in. That's going to make everybody know you do it. Well, the way it's supposed to be done is you're supposed to be using it to sneak in. And so we turn. So I almost failed that skill because that's how I learned it, slap the water. And like, no, 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 do it again, and let's try not to slap the water this time. And I was like, okay. I thought I was doing it perfect. And so I've changed the way that I teach that now simply because that was was some – that was really cool because it's an idea that, okay, I'm going to sneak up on the orca or I'm going to sneak up on the manatee and this is how I'm going to get in the water. So they were real, real strict there. And then once we got accepted to, that was the acceptance to apply. And then we had to go and sit for an interview with all the big wigs at the aquarium and basically tell them why we wanted to work at the aquarium, what was going to be our motivation, what was going to be around. And then, um, that was that was a, not a rougher interview, but then we went through the whole human resources thing exactly like you would when you're signing up for a real job, and then uh, they're like, "Okay, we got to schedule you training." Well, they schedule you for a dry day, and then that was where you shadow 
all the divers and you help with food prep and you help with all this stuff and and the food prep is pretty disgusting you're feeding you're making food for the animals and it's all done raw but it's all restaurant quality stuff i mean the shark rays get lobster every day oh mm. <laughs> it's like it's not cheap to feed a shark ray but um but the the aquarium itself even if you're not um i mean they 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 they're I mean, everything is top-notch, so we had to learn how to do that. Well, then we had to go through a rescue um, scenarios, and we had to rescue people from each tank. And they did a, they did training, and it was like just like the rescue diver course as far as the training goes, but we had to learn how to get everybody out of the tanks if we were – because it was a, would be me and a buddy, me and my wife actually because we're always buddies, but it would be just me and a buddy in a tank. And so if somebody had – I mean – in some of these tanks, I mean, obviously in the shark tank, there's things that can hurt you, but people don't think that in a freshwater tank that there's things that hurt you, but there's some seriously big stingrays in that tank. And if they hurt you, you need to be able to take care of it. But they have, it is unbelievable how well wired for sound they got. There's a diver alarm on each one of the tanks that you can reach from the water. So if there's ever an emergency, you hit that button and everybody in the entire building knows that that tank has a problem and they automatically call 911 and start taking care of you and it, god god forbid anything ever happened it was just awesome that the rescue training was there and then we got to go into a dive and they take you through steps and we start out um we started out in the in the safest of all the tanks and now they've changed that around that you actually still start off in the safest tanks but it's not the same one we started in but you start out in the safest of each tank, and then you work up to shark. And if you can get into the shark tank, and it took us uh, eight months to be able to be dive the shark tank, that was awesome. I mean, it scares you to death because they, they you're not so much scared of the sharks because I've never really been scared of sharks. I'm scared of screwing up and not being able to dive the shark tank anymore. <laughs> so, but that... Um, I mean, not not to plug them when pluggings do. If anybody ever gets down right across the border of Cincinnati into Newport, um, Newport Aquarium is, I'm going to venture to say that it's probably, I mean, it's the best within five hours of me, but I'm going to say it's the best in the Midwest that I've ever been to as far as um, aquariums are concerned. Um, almost everything's a tunnel, so you're tunneling through and you're, you're acting like a diver, and uh on a different side note that's a little bit more entertaining, it's amazing what the general public who aren't divers think about the ocean. I mean, the questions that you get. Um, no, the turtle's not dead. It's only sleeping. Um, it's, uh, it's a surgeon fish, not a dory fish. <laughs> <laughs> it's a clownfish, not Nemo. <laughs> and it's, it's just, it's, it's a, a blast to listen to people that are otherwise educated where they just don't know any better. Um, but uh, moving moving forward, um, I think that I would be able to volunteer. It's nice because I've got more saltwater dives than I've had ever in a, in a year now um, because because wow. of that. It's uh, just, it's... that. That sounds great. I, I, I had the opportunity, uh, not that they invited me, but just that they were doing an open call at the shed aquarium over there in Chicago. And I almost thought about it, but, uh, just seemed like quite a bit of a commitment, uh, to, I mean, it's, it's, we're only about an hour and a half, two hours out of Chicago, but you know, they, 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 if you're going to put you through the program, they wanted you to commit to quite a bit of diving. 
Uh, well, this one, the commitment was one day a month. And the only bad part is, is that they had so many weekend volunteers that they needed, um, they needed uh, weekday volunteers. So it worked out with me perfectly because I don't ever get weekends off because I'm always doing something dive related. But um, one weekend a month worked out, um, worked out to be, I mean one day one day a month worked out to be great. Mm-hmm. Whoa! Oh, turn that off. Sorry. <laughs> Popped up where it where I was on live. He's trying to find. Um, yeah. So yeah, a day a month wouldn't be too bad. Uh, what was the commitment for the shed? Well, it's it's all in in how you read it, and I just it, it didn't matter if it was one day every three months. At the point when I was looking last year, I just didn't have the time. This year, I I, I probably could, uh, but the positions are available seven days a week during business hours. The minimum commitment is six months for weekday volunteers and one year for weekend. So I I read that is that they wanted you every day. <laughs> So, uh, but they, they, they've got about four or five different diver positions. They have a Caribbean reef diver. Uh, let's see. What, else, what other one did they have? Uh, marine mammal diver. And then a wild reef diver. Marine mammal diver would be awesome. But boy, that water would be cold. <laughs> that would be cold. But uh, now they... The aquariums, I mean, for I was absolutely shocked at how many aquariums run on volunteers. That they just get volunteers out there to do pretty much everything. And I can understand having a long commitment depending on their training. I mean, the training that we didn't have a commitment to how long they wanted us, but they really asked us to be there a year. And we're, we're hit coming up on our year now. And the, the, the training that they put into it was is, is just astronomically cool the, the 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 investment that they give and, and and the gratitude that they have for you being a volunteer is just awesome and we actually it's funny we get paid we always call it payday we get tickets for every eight hours of service we get a free ticket to the aquarium so um <laughs> it works out that if i got somebody that's driving down there and wants to go i get to give them a ticket to the aquarium um but but the aquarium's awesome i mean they they keep it top notch they've got um today was really cool because uh we every once in a while, we never really know what's going on because we we tend to go with the flow, and so some days we'll be be out there and we'll have to clean a, a wall or scrub scrub glass or I mean we have to pretty much scrub glass every time we go, but some days are feeds and some days are not, and we're walking through it. We do a walkthrough at the beginning where we walk through the entire aquarium so we get re, reacquainted with it each time we come and uh, know where the emergency exits are and know where the where everything is and see what's new and, and then we talk about the tanks what needs to be done um, but today on, while we were talking about the tanks and what needs to be done they uh, they said we need two, help, two helpers for the penguin um, parade and they do this parade at the beginning where everybody gets to meet three penguins that they bring out and, and, and they get to get their picture taken with them and all that kind of stuff well we're like I've never done that let's go ahead and do it so Jill and I my wife and I ended up going in and we walk up to where the volunteers are and she says, Oh, I'm not quite ready for you. I'm still cleaning up. Go ahead and sit on that bench and uh, play with the birds. <laughs> <laughs> and so, I mean, you can, from my understanding is you can do this as an add on. It costs like $25 and I highly recommend it. They are screaming gas riot, but they are African penguins, also known as jackass penguins. And 
things that you learn about penguins, these penguins love 80 degree water. They love warm, tropical type climates. Smart penguins. They'll do a, I'm sorry? Smart penguins. Yeah, they are. <laughs> but they're pretty much all over the coast of Africa. Well, they are so fun as far as they're birds. I mean, obviously, if you put your hand next to them, they're going to bite you. But, but they like to play with the plastic toys. So you play with the plastic toys. So we've sat and played with them for like 10 minutes. Well, then we had to go and take them out and do this, um, do this uh, parade. Well, one of them, her name is Simon, and she was set on the ground while we were doing this. And she likes to walk around and, and, and see, and we're told to just keep Simon herded. Well, they set her on the ground, and Simon kind of does this little turn and looked up at my wife. And the handler goes, oh, she wants to be petted. And so my wife scratched, like started petting the top of her head. And she goes, no, scratch under her chin. And this bird just melted like a kitten in my wife's hands. And it was, I mean, they feel like kittens. That was so cool. (laughs) That was just so cool. And, uh, I mean, it's diving related sort of. But, I mean, I've been totally into animals forever. But this, I mean, penguins, they eat a hundred they eat almost 50 pounds of fish a day and they weigh four and so what the girl that was the the naturalist that was talking about she said it would be the equivalent of eating 130 quarter pound cheeseburgers every day in human terms wow and oh, geez, I'm like, that's just a heck of a lot of food for an animal. I, as much as I eat, I think I get tired of that. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds like a lot of work. But it was, but, I mean, it was, it just, it made, I mean, it makes for a really good day. And I like it because I get recharged. I'll go back to the um, dive shop tomorrow and I'll, I'll have a lot more energy to, to, to look for new ideas and look for new things that are going on. But, uh, um, that that was my week of diving, and hopefully I'll get another one in this weekend. But And that kind of segues into the next section. Are so you, you planning anything this weekend? Uh, actually, uh, we are. Uh, 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 Bob, Kurt, and I are planning on heading to, to Hague Quarry, which is just uh, about uh, an hour and a half, two hours from here. And I've never been there before. so uh, they have not either. They, they they like to hit most of the quarries in the area at least once a year and they and they haven't uh they, they said it's probably been two or three years for Hague for them, so uh we we're gonna go. Uh Jim was planning on going but I don't think he's going to now. I th- I think he had something come up, so it'll be uh the three of us heading down there. Uh it's it's uh and I don't know how it compares to White Star. I it's been a while since I looked up, but they've got uh, I, I've read little bits here and there about it. I I have heard really good things about that quarry. I know they got a lot of stuff sunk. Yeah, um, they, they, they had one of the co- coolest things. I think that's the quarry that has the. Um, I don't know if they actually did it, but I remember um, a couple years ago at Our World Underwater, they were putting in a Mediterranean shipwreck. Oh. And it was for people to practice their underwater archaeology skills, but they were basically building. I don't know how they were doing it. I think they were using pots from like a pottery barn or something like that, but they were going to build an entire shipwreck underwater. I think they did do, I don't know if they did the whole thing, which I'm going to look now. Uh, lucky we got the internet. Yeah. But uh, I, I do know that they did do some sort of archaeology exhibit. 
So uh, I'm going to try and get at least two, if not three, dives in on that. Uh, yeah, I, I can't go diving. Uh, I, we would try and do more, but I can't get both days in. Uh, i got to give my wife a day <laughs> to do something. So, uh, But that, yeah, that, that's where... That's where I'm planning on heading. So this is the this is a weekend I work at the quarry. Um, we only have four more weekends of of, of that, and then uh, our underwater pumpkin carving contest. But um, my wife and I are planning on going down there and doing um, working session, and then we usually go diving afterwards. If it's slow, I get to go diving during the day, but we usually go diving afterwards, and uh, that's. That's going to be my my weekend of diving, and then uh, when we start looking at the river this month too. Yeah, because uh, uh, boat traffic goes bye bye. Yeah, I was uh, I was kind of thought we'd have Don might pop in at some point during the show, but he must must be busy today. But uh, I know he's been doing a lot of river diving the last couple weeks, so uh, I need to find out where he's going. Uh, hopefully it hasn't hit the hit the spot we hit last year because I want to get back to you know there, there's stuff that we saw that you just ran out of time. Uh-huh. Uh, I want to get back in on that, but uh, I guess the visibility's been good. Normally, you know, you're kind of pushing it this time of year. Yeah, it's 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 hit or miss this time of year, and I mean it's hit or miss everywhere this time of year and in the spring. Boy, in the winter time the river becomes hit or miss if you don't know somebody up there. Because at least with our rivers, they get choked up with ice. And uh, nothing sucks more than going up there and looking at, at one of the most beautiful days you can do it and then seeing nothing but ice. And there's no way to break through it. It's not You can't do an ice dive because the whole thing's shifting. Yeah. Well, and that's usually what we do. We have plan A, plan B, plan C. So, uh, you know, we, we might uh, uh, be able to get a dive in. You know, if we can't get – there's a couple spots in the river – that even if the river is full, uh, those sometimes are clear. Uh, and then we'll have people scout throughout the day, just say, hey, here's where the ice is, and we'll get that in. And then uh, once it gets to where we can't do that anymore, and it seemed like this last year we were doing uh, uh, river dives all the way to about the third week of January, and then that's when things just got to be too much, and then we then we went to actual cutting cutting the triangles in the ice and dropping down. So it's, yeah. hard, it's hard to hard to think about it, but we're get, we're getting close to that already. That's just it's and it's crazy that we're going to be di- ice diving in four months. Yeah, that's just crazy. I mean, I'm not. I mean, I I, I like a um. I, I love river. I love river diving. I love ice diving. I love the summer. So now, how do we figure out how to do all that? in the summer right yeah and i don't know <laughs> well the thing about ice diving is i think that if if everybody got over the fact that it's cold out and that's not a problem it's being cold that's the problem so exactly. if you can get out there and not be cold and if you can prime your wetsuit and have a really good place to heat i mean we take the quarry concession since it's empty we totally take all the the hardware out of it in the winter time and we put in two or three heaters and uh vent it up high so that there's no carbon monoxide problems but um we put a lot of uh really cool heaters and that sort of thing in there we've gotten that up to 80 degrees inside and it can hold about 
dozen people and then we heat the changing rooms and they get to be 50 and 60 and 70 degrees in there so it's like you get out of the water you walk up the the the, the, the beach you walk into the the hot ch changing room and you change out of your cold stuff and into your warm stuff and it's not even a big deal i mean the only big problem that i've ever seen anybody have is if they don't wear a hat their hair freezes <laughs> but it's i mean we go we ice dive at the quarry which is something they've never done before um and we started doing that when we took took over the the, the concession there and we do the first week of january the well i think it's gonna be the second week of january this year because i think the first falls on the first week and we do it for a new year's day dive but we do the first week of february and we always have had ice and the first week of march and we've always had ice and the first week of february last year well, the first year that I did it, the first week of February, we cut a hole in there and you're swimming and swimming and swimming. And we got to the end of the line and I was a hundred feet out. And I was like, I can't be a hundred feet out. I can see the hole. Mm -hmm. And I yanked again for more slack. And then I swam back up the hole, kind of pissed off going, guys, why are you short roping me? And, and they're like, uh, we gave you the whole hundred feet. <laughs> and it's like that's cool because you're sitting down there and you can see a person standing there tending you in the hole from a hundred feet away you know it's a full hundred feet visibility wow yeah nobody gonna argue with you if it's a hundred feet then nope and uh we uh we've joked about it that we're gonna shoot all of our um all of our promo video um in the winter time <laughs> underwater and then on this and then splice in the summertime stuff for the surface and if anybody's paying attention they'll see that well why is everybody diving in dry suits in the winter time but if nobody's paying attention they'll go god the visibility at white star is always awesome and i'm like yeah okay <laughs> but you don't, you don't have any uh, crazy wetsuit ice divers we do um <laughs> we have we have there is a guy um we have we have quite a few of them actually three or four of them um but we had a guy last year who came out, and he's he was certified a couple years ago. He did it in ice dive, and he came out last year. He goes, you know what? I was a little warm in my 7 mil, so I'm going to try my 5.4 this year. Oh. And he's diving in a 5.4. He comes out of the water 40. I mean, it's not a 20-minute dive. He's doing 45 and 50-minute dives in a 5.4. And he's got it right. He primes it, and he gets what? into a hot um, he's got a um, work van that he heats up and keeps running really hot. And uh, But he said he got out of the water, and he goes, you want me to tend? And I was like, well, go get changed. No, I'm fine right now. I'm like, dude, you're standing out here in a wetsuit. Just do me the favor and go he's making put you gold. clothes on. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, those uh, days are coming. Yeah, I, I won't say that I'm that warm in a wetsuit, but... Uh... It's it's once you get all those the they call them tricks or just good habits of how to stay warm, you know, start warm and stay warm. Uh, it's it's not bad, you know. It's and, the, and that is the truth. I mean, once you figure, once you break the code, we call that breaking the code. Once you break the code on how to make that dive and do it consistently, what's the alternative? The alternative is sit at home and get used to not diving. Well, the thing about it is, uh, you know, it, it's all about uh, heat loss and then the delta between what you perceive as warm and what the water temperature is. And when you look at what we're diving here in Lake Michigan, you get below that thermocline, 
most of the year it's below 40 degrees below the thermocline on the wrecks. So if you're not dry suit diving, you know, you're wetsuit diving, it doesn't matter that it's 90 degrees in the summer, you know, 65 degrees surface temperature, you're going to get down and it's going to be 39, 40 degrees there on the wreck. And and the, the guys that have solved it for the wintertime, we plan, like, what I like wintertime diving for is because it solves all the problems that the summertime has given me. So all those problems where I get down in the 38-degree water and my hands are freezing, mm-hmm. I, I, I can do that in the wintertime, and if I can be warm in the winter and I dive that same way, and people have taken it and extrapolated into into normal wreck dives. I mean, the charter boat that I use, um, uh, a guy out of uh, Port Sanilac, their dive masters bring coolers of hot water that they just scoop and prime everybody's wetsuit who wants it. And it's funny because you'll see all the guys that go, oh, I'm not going to need that on their first dive. But on the second dive, oh, absolutely. And, yeah. and she's out. And, and, and it's really cool because it's like 80 degrees out, but they're sitting there just shivering because there's a little bit of wind or something like that. And so she tells them, get out of the water, get out of your stuff, and I'll prime your wetsuit. Well, I'm not diving for a while. Well, you'll we'll prime it again when you dive. And and borrowed that term prime. I, everybody's got a different word for it. But that's awesome that they're even thinking that way in i mean it's not deep stuff it's just anything below the thermocline you're going to be in 50 degree water no matter what you do yes yeah i i tend not to prime in the summer only because my thinking is that if i get used to being that toasty in the summer then you know it's going to hit me harder in the winter (laughs) yeah but there's there's also um my there's also i guess somebody told me that there's also detailed evidence about how that can cause you to be colder and i'm like well it doesn't feel colder so let's not even borrow that one well they're talking about priming yeah it's it has something to do with it slows down your body's response to to cold water and all the mammalian dive reflex and all that kind of stuff and it was a really compelling argument but i mean what i've seen and what i know to be true is is cool and then for anybody that might be listening here that needs to shed a few pounds and this is, you're going to have to worry about this when you become a dry suit diver. If you're a wetsuit diver in the winter, you will shed a ton of weight. A ton. Because your body's trying to keep you warm and it just burns calories like no tomorrow. Gee, when I, I was, when I I was wetsuit diving, I jumped in the water in April and I would lose all my um, all my winter weight by, uh, by, by May. <laughs> now I can't get rid of it any, no matter how hard I try, but I don't like being cold. Well, it didn't work for me in the wetsuit. I can't say that I lost a whole lot. <laughs> I was diving about every weekend in the ice. But uh, it, it, you do burn calories. Uh, it also makes you hungry. Yeah. As long as you don't eat like as hungry as you get, you're okay from what I understand. But... Yeah, but, uh, yeah, no, it's, uh, uh, I, I don't, I, I'm going to disagree with them saying that uh, priming makes you colder because, uh, you're going to get some water underneath that wetsuit somehow. I've, I've, you know, I, I've yet to, you know, it's, it's, you might call it a semi-dry, thick suit, but there's still water in there, and I'd much rather have warm water. You know, I, I, I'd rather heat water from, you know, 80 degrees to 98 than from 30 degrees to 98. Yeah, so. and that's that's absolutely true. Because, I mean. It's been a long time since I've done a winter wet wetsuit dive, but uh, I mean, it, like the alternative, 
it's it's scary to to have people that hang up their fins this time of year and i know too many people i mean this weekend is is up in the the thumb area where all the charter boats and all the people hang out this weekend is typically um the first weekend of october is typically the weekend they pull all the boats and it's one of the saddest weekends where they kiss the summer goodbye and now we're going to hike we're down and hibernate and for those people that don't dive in the winter time they're giving up the best visibility they're giving up the the no crowds for sure they're they're giving up uh, an opportunity to say i've done something that half the planet hasn't and then on top of that they're giving up diving which to me the alternative is to sit and do what um to sit and find a hobby to sit and catch up on your reading okay um to go to all the dive shows that's always fun to to, to listen to scuba obsess that's great too but that's only one day a week yep. <laughs> <laughs> but but moving moving on it's it's like uh there's a lot of diving that goes on and you don't have to i mean the water right now is not going to get cold until i'm going to say the middle of november where anybody gets cold where, where anybody would be, or I say it gets cold, it's not going to be colder than 50 degrees until the middle of November. And with that in mind, now all you have to do is bundle up when you get out of the water. So go to a place that has a really good surface area to, to support you. I mean, we used to do ice dives or anywhere anybody had a garage on the lake that was willing to let us heat it. Yeah. And you can see things that few people ever get to see. Yeah, well... What what we do? I mean, we don't even need a garage. Uh, we've got ice shanties. We got these portable ice shanties that go back the the car. They're only about oh, I would say uh, you know nine inches thick. So you just pack all your gear on top of it. Uh, get a little pro, uh, propane heater. Uh, you you know you set up the shanty before you get in your your suit. Uh, by the time you get out of the ice and you get in there, it's nice and toasty, about ninety degrees. Wow. Well, that's, I mean, that's just it. It's like break the code, figure out how you're going to do it and, and go do it. I mean, I, I find like in my business, cause my business is obviously getting people out diving. What I've found is people who are obsessed, if they take a break from it, they're no longer obsessed that if you buy all the gear and you buy everything and you sit there and you let something happen that you're not like, if you're planning diving every weekend, and you let something happen on one weekend, okay, that's okay. Life happens. You let it happen another weekend, and suddenly you're looking at a month I've not been in water. And and I, I, I wish they'd build dive gear that disintegrated if you didn't get it wet every month because I'd make a lot more money. But you get guys that, that come in, and, and they're like, I, I've not used my stuff all year. Do I have to get it serviced? And, yeah, you have to get it serviced because manufacturer says you do. And there's a lot of things that can go wrong with it but why have the, the question is is why haven't you been using it this year well it's always been a hassle it wasn't a hassle that first year when you did it every year every weekend just get out and dive more make sure you put it on the calendar that this is your weekend of diving and one weekend a month is all you need to keep active i mean it's crazy um do you know the the industry what a, what an industry active diver is called how many dives they do a year I have no idea. Yeah. You're going to be shocked. It's 15 dives a year. Wow. It's considered active. 
and that's the that's what an average active diver does. And and if you throw you and I and, and Jim and and, <laughs> and Mac into the mix, boy, we're carrying the average like nobody. <laughs> that's for sure. Oh. And I mean, you look at people who do dive, though. I mean, the guys that go out and they do. Okay, I'm going to gut it out. I'm going to go out in the quarry, and I'm just going to do one. I'm going to get in the water. I'm going to do 20 minutes, and I'm going to get out. And I'm going to do that once a month, or I'm going to go. Um, down to the pool, pool and see if I can hop in and, and, and help out with a class or hop in and just get some, some bottom time because we do that with some of our classes where a person just pays to come diving and sometimes we do it for free if they bought their gear from us. But um, we'll, we'll have dive days once a month where we'll have everybody come. We do, we're going to um, start this thing that was given to me as an idea, which I thought was great, is we're going to have, you can have a free refresher if you bring somebody to learn how to dive, meaning we're going to let you dive with them. We're going to give them a discover scuba in the pool while you're getting refreshed. So, I mean, we always need dive buddies, right? Exactly. So that, that's the way to do it. So it's just one of those things. I mean, if you get yourself diving, you when you go on that trip that's one year, once, two years, I mean, the people that have been diving jump in and go, okay, I'm ready. Where the other people are go, man, how much weight did I need? Or, man, how much my mass doesn't fit right or gosh, what's the spider doing in my regulator? It's, 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 it's fun because you can see the, I mean, even the difference between my wife, um, like when we went to Bonaire, cause she usually doesn't dive in the winter at all, but with the aquarium, she's gotten one dive day a month and she jumped into the water and in Bonaire and didn't even look back. It was, she was right on cue. Perfect. And so she didn't waste any of her vacation. Um, trying to figure it all back out. So well, that, that's the other thing about uh, you know we've got divers in the club, which you know pretty much anybody who's in the club is pretty obsessed with it. But there's a lot of them who, you know, they they don't get out. You know, they, they might make a, we have a turkey dive that we do uh, Thanksgiving weekend, and then maybe they do the New Year's Eve dive, uh, and that seems to be it until, you know. April, May. And it always seems that they have the first two or three dives of the season are, you know, where did I put those gloves? I can't find this. Uh, you know, the, you know, the, the, the switch of my light isn't working quite right. Uh, you know, you know, they it just, it seems like it takes them a lot of time to get up and, and accustomed to where, you know, if you had done three or four extra dives in the winter, you'd have, you'd have been right right ready to go and and on that note what my concern is is that first dive back or that second dive back is such a hassle they throw the crap in the uh they throw it all into the the uh, uh closet and say this isn't worth it it's too much hassle where if they would have gutted it out for two more dives it would stop being a hassle exactly yeah. um yeah it's just uh if anybody who listens to this program can give any of us ideas on how to get our friends and colleagues and dive buddies and wives and in my case customers out diving what is it that's keeping you from diving i mean we've tried everything we've tried child care we've tried giving away free equipment we've tried giving away free charters we've tried everything and it's it's not the money it's not anything that i can see except it's People not making the time. We're all given the same amount of time on this planet. Get out and dive. And you know you love it. 
Exactly. <laughs> you wouldn't be listening to this program if you didn't love it. Um, well, maybe. Wait, is that? <laughs> we, <laughs> that was kind we, of a we, bad way of putting it. Yeah, we, we, we only have a few uh, uh, non, non-diver listeners, but we, we get what you were going at. <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean, but the, the thing is, is the more I dive, the more I, I love it. So I think it's, you know, it's... Yeah, I, I kind of wait for when is it going to, tra- you know, when's it going to trail off? When am I, when am I going to say, you know what, uh, I just need to do something else? Because you look back through the years of all the the hobbies that you you tend to have, and they they seem to run that, you know, you get into it, you buy big, and and not to criticize dive shop owners, but it almost seems like that's what a lot of the dive shops in the area tend to be trying to do, is it's like they want to get you in the pool, then they want to sell you this multiple thousand dollar gear package and then they kind of give up on the divers you know getting them back in and you know maybe i'm unfairly blaming the dive shops you know that they just want to make some money but well there's uh, there's two sides to that that i've found and and, um the first thing is is that there's and it's preached in 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 the chapter five of the patty manual there's three things that a person must do if they're going to keep it diving and that's they have to do one of these three things, or I can guarantee you that they'll never come back to it. And before they get before they get done with the whole class, before they go out and get certified, before they say forget it, I'm 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 a certified diver. They have to do one of two things: they need to buy a piece of equipment, they need to sign up for a trip, or they need to sign up for another class. Mm-hmm. And the, the, along the lines of throwing a whole bunch of gear at somebody and saying, "I want to buy all this gear and I want to buy, I want you to get all this gear," the only way that I've ever seen people consistently stay with a program is if they buy the right stuff the right t- first time. And the dropout rate, Darren, you would absolutely be astonished at the dropout rate. In the average in the industry, is that from a person who takes the basic class and becomes certified to um, if you take all of the people that have taken a basic class and become certified um, worldwide, or I'm sorry, I think it was the, the numbers that I saw was the United States wide, 50% never dive after that first trip. 50% half. Yeah. And it's a, it breaks my heart because we go through a five-week program at our dive shop where a person's learning how to dive. And the first night of the thing, I, I ask everybody, why are you here? Why do you want to learn how to dive? And there's, it ranges from everywhere where I found a shipwreck while I was out, um, out, out dragging a, uh, a, a fishing lure, and I saw it on my side scan and I want to dive it, to I'm here because my doctor said it probably might be a good idea for me to get over my fear of water, and this is a good way to do it. Okay. <laughs> and I mean, and it ranges in everything. I'm going on a vacation. I, I'm going to do this. I'm going to go. Um, we've had people that say, hey, we're going to go on our honeymoon in Easter Island, and we really think we should learn how to dive. And then, uh, well, wow, I didn't know I'm diving in Easter Island. Oh, that's not really where we're going to dive. We're going to try it there, but we're going to Tahiti for the second half. And it's like, holy cow, and you're not divers. Um, those people will tend to stay active. But if they don't buy equipment, now that it becomes a hassle. And it's all that hassle factor. We got to go rent it. We got to go do this. We got to go. Maybe the dive shop's not open, or or, or they're going to try to sell me on gear, what have you. Um, all we want to do is make sure you dive, because I can guarantee you that out of all those people that come in and say, "I've learned, I'm learning how to dive," fill in the blank here. Not one of them say, 
I'm learning, I'm coming here to take this class so that I can waste five weeks of my life and a weekend of my life at, at, at the quarry to never dive again. Not a single one will say that, but 50% of them do that. And it's unfortunate because they're missing out on the other half of the planet. Yeah, un unfortunately, I, I do see those people who, uh, you know, I'm driving down the road, I see a lot of people with license plates, uh, scuba, you know, and, and I dive actively in the area. And I'm not seeing those people dive. I'm not seeing them in the stores. Uh, yet they got that plate in their car. And then there's also people at work. You know, everybody kind of knows that I'm an avid scuba diver. And uh, so they, they like to talk to me. And I, and I always ask, and I'm surprised how many of them have dove. You know, but they've all done the same thing. They took, they took the class. Uh, they did a trip. And then they, they never dove again. And I keep saying, and, and I keep trying to get them into it. It's almost like it's easier for them to take that first class not knowing anything about diving than it is for them to get that refresher course. I don't know if it's like guilt or, or fear that, you know, they can't pick it back up, but I don't, I don't know why, you know, relearning something would be harder than learning it the first time. I've, I've, I've found that it's a lot of, man, what if I suck at this? What if I'm not as good as I was when I let it go five years ago or f ten years ago or what have you? Or what if I what if I don't like it? Or I mean, a lot of it is that I don't need another hobby again. Well, you don't really need. I mean, the, the once you got the class done, and if you own any equipment, once you got that done, the expensive part's over. It's cheaper than golf at that point. Oh, sure. It's way cheap. It's way cheaper than Disney. It's way cheaper than Cedar Point. It's way cheaper than than even going for a weekend in Chicago. It's it's way cheaper than, than most sports. I mean, it's not expensive at all once you get over that initial hump. My amazement is how many people over that initial hump don't go back to it. Yeah. And I, I don't know if it's motivation. I mean, that's, this is, that, that could be a, a six-beer conversation and try to figure out the, the reason for it. And once we ever figure it out, then I think we've got a better <laughs> understanding of the industry. But... Um, I, it's weird. You walk into my house and you can't turn anywhere that doesn't remind you of the underwater world diving. I mean, I've got dive magazines everywhere. I've got pictures on the wall. I've got, um, I mean, my kids have fins in their toy box. I mean, this is, this is part of my life. And I mean, it's, it, and it wasn't when, when I was working in a, in a cubicle, it was that way. I mean, I had dive pictures all over my cubicle. I couldn't, I mean, uh, to sum it up really easy, a, a friend of mine came up with the great, greatest voicemail message I've ever heard. And when you answered, he goes, hi, this is Keith. I'm either diving, learning about diving, or making money to go diving, so please leave a message. <laughs> that, that, that is... I, I, think, I think maybe we've got a, a new thing. We had ringtones, now we need to do answering machine messages <laughs> <laughs> and that was the best message i've ever heard and he's had it on his phone forever and it's just it, it's true that's what we're doing and i mean i'm i'm one of these weird guys where my job is diving but i can tell you on my day off i go dive <laughs> and and it's it, it it's i always looking for people to dive with because 
I mean, I like the White Star Quarry and I like going diving, but I want you to see you progress beyond that. I mean, I want to see you say, I mean, we'd love having you come down to the quarry. I mean, it's it's great. To, it's a great place to dive and it's all exciting. But I want to see you call me up and say, Rich, I just found a new spot in the river that we want to go try. Or Rich, I got a new wrecker out there. Or, or Rich, let's go do this trip. And that's where I get all of my trip ideas. I want to go do Isle Royal. I want to go do... Uh, uh, the one that just came in Vancouver and it's like cool let's go I'll set it up you sign up for the trip we'll go and it's I mean if you want to go on your own we'll set that up too it's just I, I just want to see I mean and the same thing you got guys that walk around with the dive t-shirts on you walk around with the or have it all over their car and you say when was the last dive you did well my open water certification three years ago but I'm a diver and I like being a diver I like thinking about diving well let's get you back into diving and this time of the year, it's just sad because it's one more hump we have to jump over. Come on, it's not going to be that cold. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. We'll, we'll definitely have to revisit this. I'm sure this will be a, a plenty of of conversation of how we get everybody in. But uh, uh, probably probably getting close. We're, we're approaching the two hour mark <laughs> for the for the podcast. So so if if you if you've listened to this. Uh, on a recording, I'm, I'm sorry, we probably made your iPod just a little bit heavier uh, with uh, with two hours of data. Uh, but uh, just one more thing I wanted to cover. It was it was interesting. Is uh, you know, last week I was kind of on the fence about going to to Dima, and my wife today just told me that uh, she's already put in her time off for that week, so we're going. <laughs> Sweet. So yeah, I now now I've got to go put in for the uh, the paperwork to. Uh, to get there which shouldn't be a problem so yeah we'll we'll be heading down to las vegas uh for that week which i think it's uh no, was it november 16th yes 16th yeah. through the 20th yep we'll be arriving um me and uh, one of the guys from the shop is coming um we're uh we're we're gonna be there i think on tuesday yeah tuesday afternoon patty has this big thing going on and then uh there's Wednesday and then Thursday, and uh, make sure you, you you exercise your liver because uh, they have <laughs> really. I mean, the, there's a par patty party on on uh, Tuesday night, and then there's a Dan party on Wednesday night, and then there's an industry party on Thursday night, and uh, I got to leave Thursday because we have um, another show on Saturday that we have to be back for, so. Um, Thursday night I'll be there, but uh, we're leaving fr early Friday morning. But you'll see. I mean, we'll we'll catch up there. Yeah, that'll be I'm, awesome. I, I'm sure we'll, we'll we'll our paths will cross at least a couple times. During and if that. you want to, and if you want to make the wife really happy, because uh, my wife's not going this time. Um, but we went last year. There's a there's a show at the Wyndham. You absolutely will love and the reason i say this is because it's a show you're going oh my god a show i gotta take my wife to a show you take her to a vegas strip show and she'll never never um uh she'll she'll never not like it but this one's called la rev and it's got a diving side to it oh. so if you want to look that up after we get off the air you got to look at it because because everybody that works at everybody every cast member is certified and then they have a behind the scenes uh -huh. That that is beyond cool, but it's called L. It's La Rev. It means the dream in French. It's L A R E V E. And so Google that and look yeah. at all the things. It's a phenomenal show. Yeah, well, and 
Yeah, we're, we're definitely looking forward to it. Uh, of all the years, I, I've been, I've been a lot of places. Just for somehow or some reason, I've just never made Vegas. So this will actually be our first time to Vegas. So who knows if you know? Maybe I need to get a couple days before, a couple days after, and then uh, you know, maybe a dialysis machine when I get back. <laughs> <laughs> Pump the toxins out of my body, but that will be fun. Uh, as, as much fun as I can have without diving, I guess. Well, it's as close as you're going to be amazed at some of the stuff people. The, the concepts, the concept stuff has kind of worn off as the economy has gone to hell in a handbasket. But but there's some really neat things there, and uh, you need to check out the White's Fusion dry suit. Yeah, yeah. I just uh, I just uh, uh, one of the local dive shops just sent me a flyer today, and I've I've I've, I've folded that to where the White's suit is out in the top, and and I laid that on the uh, the table right before I came down. I said, hey, I, I think that's what I need for Christmas, and she I didn't she didn't throw anything at me, so <laughs> that, that's a good sign. Now, now uh, since, since you carry that white, I noticed that they had the uh, the the three look like three models. That yeah, what went. it is is the outer the outer covering, and uh, we rent the tech model. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, the lighter model is like a lycra. The tech model is like a neoprene, and the outer the bullet model is supposed to be just crazy tough. Um, I know a friend of mine has the bullet, and he really likes it. We haven't sold any of those yet. But uh, my wife dives the tech one with the pockets. And the cool thing, and, and I know she'll never listen to this, but the cool thing is that no matter who puts it on, it's custom fit. Mm-hmm. And she always said it's funny because it doesn't hide anything. It's like a wetsuit. But it's custom fit. So I'm, I'm five foot ten, five foot, yeah, five foot, I think five foot eight maybe. I don't know. I'm about five foot ten, and I'm 200 pounds. And the same size suit fits her like a custom, fits me like a custom. And if you're anywhere around five foot ten, it would fit you like a custom. Mm-hmm. And it's amazing because they only make five sizes of the suit. And it's one of those it's one of those things where the guy that it's like the Poseidon regular. The guy that designed it was either a genius or crazy. And the same thing with this. They were either genius or crazy because it is so simple on their concept. But you really need to have someone show you how to put it on or you're going to hate it. No. Oh, well, if, you if, you're, if you're a dry suit diver, if you try dry suits on and you go to put it on, you'll hate it because it's impossible to try to figure out how to get it on. But if you have someone at the White's booth say, I want to, say, I want to show you how to put this on, Take that opportunity to, to learn how to put it on, and it is amazing because it goes on really weird. You have to pull it up in sections, uh-huh. but once you, you can put it on in 30 seconds or less. They train people in, to, to put it on in 30 seconds or less, but it's one of those things that it's so weird how you put it on that it, it, it's crazy, and, and that's where I think, and we're having a hard time selling them because people go to try it. I mean, people don't want to sit down to be educated on how to put it on. They think that's a, a, a roadblock. Mm-hmm. But it's it's like if you've ever put on, uh, I don't know, the way my wife describes it is, is taking a garbage bag and putting it on underneath your pantyhose. Okay. <laughs> okay? Because the inner shell that fits everybody is really, really baggy. 
and so you have to pull it up and get it to bunch right. And then when you pull the outer shell over, that just sucks everything in and makes it clingy. And the vi the, the the streamlining is way better. I mean, when I wrap up wreck my, I'm gonna get one. Um, I have I have a pinnacle right now, but it's and only because it's bulletproof. But um, that suit was way more comfortable to dive than I ever ever would have imagined. Mm -hmm. So. I want it's a, it's a white fu white white's fusion, and I have the tech shell, yeah. and the outer shell like for all of us river divers because I was kind of worried about that. I've got a river diver who bought the light one, and he's never wrecked it. It looks brand new, and and that was surprising to me. But I've got um, I was a little skeptical because I was like, well, I'm going to tear this up because I eat, I tear up everything, mm -hmm. and he goes, well, the outer shell is uh, replaceable, and the inner shell's patchable. I was like okay the outer shell is yeah. like 300 and something dollars i mean it's another wetsuit but it's it's a uh, it's it's like okay if i can have a brand new wetsuit dry suit when this is all over just by replacing the outer shell how cool is that yeah yeah because that's that's what i'm, I'm looking at I was, I, i'm kind of going back between the tech and the the bullet just because I, I, there's just so much stuff i my, my wetsuit's in pretty good condition it's probably got uh you know 80 90 dives on it and it's it's held up, you know. I don't have any seams going bad, which I think is pretty good considering I'm doing grubbing. And you know, there's I, I always look at stuff and go, boy, I'm glad I didn't run into that. We've got a couple seawalls that are about 30 feet deep there along the river, and every time I come up on them, I'm like, oh, that would be a bad day to run into that the wrong way. You know, they, yeah. they got they got they got Scott the they they've rusted to razor edges, and uh, it wouldn't take much. So that that's where that's where I'm at now. I'm just like, do I? Do I spend that little bit extra on the uh, on the bullet, or is the tech enough? But that, you know, I guess if you can replace that shell, I'm I'm tough yeah. on stuff. So yeah, but uh, yeah, the cool thing about about Dima is they're gonna look at you. You're gonna go in there with a press pass, so so they're gonna look at you as a consumer. Where they mm -hmm. go into me and they they just want to sell me stuff, but that's what they're there for. Right. But if I say, look, I don't know anything about the product, educate me, they're going to take the time to educate you. They want you to buy it. They want you to talk about it. They want you to get, especially, I mean, I've not walked in there with a press pass, but I did walk in there. Um, I mean, I've always been a buyer when I've gone, but I did know someone who went in as just a, a normal person. And and it's kind of hard to find people that talk to you, but people who go in press passes, I mean, they know you can talk good or bad about them. They don't need to know that Scuba Sess doesn't have a million people listening to it. It only has a couple hundred thousand. But <laughs> yeah, just a few hundred thousand. <laughs> <laughs> but it's coming. Yeah. But. Well, on that note, I think we probably better let everybody get to bed. <laughs> so uh, uh, even even though Jim's not here, I, I did dig up a, uh, a, a, a scuba joke. So if you're ready, we'll go ahead and yeah, head into that section. Ahead. So. Uh, have you have you heard a few of those, or do you yes. do you, you don't stop the player before the before we get to that point? I, I won't tell you that I won't. I haven't stopped the player in the past, but it, <laughs> they have been remarkably entertaining. <laughs> uh, okay, so here we go. A bum who has obviously seen more than his share of hard times approaches a well-dressed gentleman on the street. He says, "Hey, buddy, can you spare two dollars?" The well-dressed gentleman responds, you're not going to spend it on liquor, are you? And he goes, no, sir, I don't drink, reports the bum. He says, are you going to throw it in uh, some card game, are you? Asks the gentleman, no way, I don't gamble, answers the bum. 
You wouldn't waste it on a wetsuit or tanks or regular other scuba gear, would you? Asked the man. He goes, never. Uh, I don't dive. The man asked the bum if, if he'd come home with him for a cooked meal, and the bum eagerly accepts. While they're heading for the gentleman's house, the bum curiously asked the better of him, isn't your wife going to be angry to see a guy like me at your table? He says, probably, but it'll be worth it. I want, I want to let her see what happens to a guy who doesn't drink, gamble, or scuba dive. <laughs> Okay, well, for this week, uh, go out there and get wet. Almost two hours and ten minutes. Yeah, Yeah, it's it's not a record, but we're we're getting there.